Just one word on the Operation Christmas child boxes. I was at a prayer meeting at uh, Southern Champion Trey, and there was a missionary there speaking at the prayer meeting. Um, Southern Champion prints a lot of the boxes. And um, she told a story that I just want to relate to you, a real quick story, because uh, we have a lot to do this morning. But this, it was just neat uh, uh, that there was a Christian teenager who received one of the boxes, and within the box there's a uh, a, a plan for a like a backyard Bible school type thing. Uh, and so she was sharing her box with a friend and they decided to do this backyard uh, Bible study uh, thing. And that developed within a couple of months into a big youth um, uh, camp for a week. And so you could directly trace the impact of those boxes and the gospel message uh, that, that's within those boxes to um, many, many teenagers in this village coming to know the Lord and then being discipled uh, and integrating into the church. So a really neat, good thing. And and I just uh, want to uh, commend you to uh, look into that and grab a box and pray over those boxes. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing. So this morning, um, if you are new with us, normally um, what we do is we go verse by verse through the Bible. We've been in the book of Romans for a couple of years and we will... Um, start that back up in two weeks, I think. That's the plan right now. In two weeks, we'll go back to the book of Romans. But we decided that we would take three weeks here in October um, to talk about the theology of the Reformation. We're coming up on October 31st of the 500th year of the Reformation. And hopefully, as you have heard these messages, one of the things that you have heard and one of the things that we've communicated is the why uh, of, of doing this. We're not doing this just because it's neat. We're not doing this just because it's part of our heritage. But we're doing this because what was at stake during the Reformation is at stake today. That the church is always in need of reform. And last week I talked about, and you'll hear me kind of say it again, that as Hebrew chapter 2 points out, we must always be careful lest we drift. That as humans we have the tendency to drift. And as a church... And as individuals, we have a tendency to drift. And so we must always be coming back to the word and looking at the word and examining our lives and examining our church based on the word. So we are looking at the theology of the Reformation because the purity of the church is at stake. And one of the things of uh, one of the uh, I don't know if you want to call it advantage or pluses or just observations that I make from speaking with other pastors and uh, and being out in several workplaces and getting to talk to people and talking with people about their faith. One of the things you'll observe, and you don't have to go very far to observe this, is that many people in our culture, in our city, the most literate, uh, the most biblically literate city, I think, in the world, that there is a lot of people who don't know what they believe. It was real interesting. I was in an endeavor where uh, we were interviewing people. And I uh, was asking them. Uh, one of the questions on the interviewing. Uh, on the sheet that we had to ask them. Was to explain the gospel. And you'd be amazed. At how many people are heavily involved in church. The amount that we had to help. In helping them know how to explain. The gospel. R.C. Sproul wrote a book, uh, and I commend it to you. We're going to be talking about justification by faith and 
um, Justification by Grace Alone this morning. He wrote a book called Justification by Faith. Um, and it was written in 1995, but he, the, he had some statistics in the beginning of, of his book that said 77% of evangelicals say that uh, they are basically good by nature. insist that in salvation, in salvation, God helps those who. These are among evangelicals. And so, brothers and sisters, one of the reasons why we are committed at Signal Mountain Bible Church of preaching verse by verse through the word of God is because we believe that it is. The authoritative very words of God and that in it contain all that we need for salvation. All that we need to know who we are and who God is, is contained in the very word of God. And it is only there that we find our hope, we find our salvation. And as you see, that as a church, as a group of people, if we ever stray from that, not only do we lose Um, um, who we are and and part of our history, but we can lose the gospel in and of itself. And as Gary preached a couple of weeks ago, you know, something. The comparison to the reformers day is 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 interesting in in very many ways. We are different. The things that we're wrestling with in our day and age are are very much different. Um, For example, in the in the 1500s, it was very common for. Someone to be wondering, how can I be made right before God? That was something that people would question and they were interested in and they were going to the church to find out. Um, that, that's what Luther's struggle and Luther's agony was. Um, we are a little bit different in our day and age, right? We are asking much different questions. Does God exist? What is the nature of man? This sort of thing. But the similarities are this, is that in many cases the church had cozied up so much to the world and drifted so far away from the centrality of Scripture that the answers to these questions became fuzzy at best and at worst, at worst, damnable. And so this morning, this morning, we are going to jump back into our study and we're going to look at um, what many historians call the material cause of the Reformation, which is, we're going to, two things, but first... We're going to look at sola fide, or by faith alone. And the reason it's called the the material cause of the Reformation is because in many ways this was the core issue of the Reformation. How is man made right before God? And, And that this was the question that was being answered. And when we look at the solas, when we look at sola scriptura, when we look at all five solas, we're looking those through the lens of how is man justified. And so this was the what's called the material cause of the Reformation. And so Luther, Luther, as as Gary pointed out in his uh, in in the first sermon uh, on the solas, that Luther's agony is how can I, how can Martin Luther, how his struggle was, how can I be made right before a holy and just God? And thankfully, one of his friends uh, pointed him to the Bible. But at first, the Bible did not alleviate the tension. It made it worse. 
Because when Luther went to the Bible, he found a God in the Bible that was much more holy than what he had heard about. And so Luther's agony increased until he famously wrestled with uh, the book of Romans, particularly Romans 1, 17, and then again in chapter 3. But just real quickly, uh, let's, let's look at Romans chapter 1 real quick. Verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And here was the verse. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, if you want a further unpacking of this text, you can go back a couple years ago when we were on this passage and uh, we, we unpacked it one Sunday morning. But just so that you see what Luther saw in this text, what, what the Holy Spirit led in Luther's heart for him to see, where his eyes were opened, was in this little word, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And in it was the gospel. And so when, when Luther began to look at justification and when he began to read Romans, what he saw and what we saw from our text this morning in Ephesians 8 and 9, that we are justified by faith alone. We are justified, we are made right before God, by faith alone. Now, as we look this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the Roman Catholic faith. And, and I don't want to do this from a standpoint of, uh, of us sticking our nose at them or, or anything like that. In fact, my hope and prayer is that it breaks your heart and causes us to pray, causes us to engage, and I, I'm hopefully... If, if time permits, at the end, I want to give you some helpful hints on, on how to do that. The, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church on this issue has not changed. And, you know, as Gary talked about, and I'm referencing Gary a lot this morning in his first sermon, Sola Scriptura, that the Catholic Church believes that the Bible is not the only authority, that alongside the Bible, that popes and uh, uh, church uh, doctrine as it's written and catechisms are, are right there alongside the, the Bible and authority. And so when we look at the Council of Trent that was written a long, long, long time ago, the, the, you know, the Roman Catholic doctrine still holds to that. And so I want to start this morning. I want to start this morning by this controversy to look at what was the what was the division point? What was the split and why was there a split? And, and I want you to hear and I want you to be thinking about this. And I want you to hear and we're going to start with the, with the church, the Rome, what we now refer to as the Roman, Roman Catholic Church. If you were to ask them then and if you were to ask a priest now, do you believe in justification by faith? Do you know what they would say? Yes. Yes. The problem doesn't come until you add that one more little word at the end. Do you believe in justification by faith alone? And they would say no. And that is because in the Roman Catholic Church, then and now, then and now, I think that there are three things that, that they believe that are needed, are needed so that a man or woman can be justified before God. The first thing that is needed is the sacraments above and beyond faith. Let me say that is are, are the sacraments. 
Now, sacraments, uh, we're, we'll talk about these a little bit later when we talk about by grace alone. Um, s- sacraments are means of grace. This is the way through which grace is distributed, the, according to Catholic belief, the way through which grace is distributed to man. And so you have man in need of God's grace and grace is distributed in a certain way. And that is through the sacraments. And it it all starts with baptism. When a child, when an infant is baptized into the Catholic Church, this begins the process of their salvation. They also believe that salvation and justification is a process. We've got to watch our words here. There get some high weeds and definitions. Justification is a lifelong process that begins with the sacrament of baptism. Now, the other thing that we need to know is um, that that in the sacraments, that the Catholic Church believes that the the action of the sacraments themselves actually cause an effect within us. So at baptism, something actually happens within us that changes us, that that makes us worthy of justification or makes us worthy of being justified. The other thing that's interesting here is that within the sacraments, not only do the sacraments do this, but uh, in Catholic doctrine, uh, humans, man or woman, we actually have to be prepared in order to take many of the sacraments. So many of you grew up in the in the Catholic Church. And before you took your first communion. What did you have to do? First confession. <laughs> because you had to be prepared. Or ready. To receive the grace. Which would then. Aid in your justification. So one thing that was needed was the sacraments. Another thing that was needed. Above and beyond faith alone. Was the church. Was the church. The sacraments are distributed through the church. And so the church is needed. They are responsible for administering the sacraments and administering grace. That's why ordination within the Catholic Church is so important. That's why there are certain standards of the priest. Is because you have to be to meet these qualifications in order to distribute the grace of God. Which then gives you the standing to be seen just before God. And and lastly, and we've already talked about this, but I want to point out ultimately, ultimately, through the doctrines of the Catholic Church, it becomes very clear the other thing that is needed is man's cooperation. That in order to be justified before God, we are cooperating with the grace of God in order for God to be able to look at us and deem us justified. Now, I want to uh, read a couple of things to you, so bear with me. I want to point out a couple of things, but these are coming right from um, uh, the Council of Trent, um, uh, Canon 9, Canon 14, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But I want to read you these documents so that you know that Lewis is not just making these things up. If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified... In such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification. And that is not in that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared. 
and I'm sorry, prepared by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. So what the official doctrine of the canon, what it was saying is that if anyone declares that they are justified by faith alone and that he doesn't need, he doesn't need in order to obtain justification to cooperate with grace or to be prepared or that there isn't a movement of his own will, let that person be anathema. Furthermore, in Canon 14, if anyone saith that man is truly absolved from his sins and justified because he assuredly believed himself absolved and justified or that no one is truly justified, but he who believes himself justified and that by his faith alone, absolution and justification are affected. Let him be anathema. Later on, so that you can get the, the fill in the, in the catechism of the Catholic Church. Baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ. Notice the effectual nature of this. Who died for our sins and rose for our justification so that we too might walk in the newness of life. And another one. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ. So far, so good. It is granted through baptism. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who justifies us. It has for its goal the glory of God and of Christ in the gift of eternal life. It is the most excellent work of God's mercy. And then later on penance. And again, notice that the wording here, they're talking about justification. Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of his church. Above all, for those who since baptism, notice this, since baptism have fallen into grave sin and have lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion. It is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert. And to recover the grace of justification. The fathers of the church present this sacrament as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is lost of grace. As a means of regaining grace and justice, penance was at all times necessary for those who have defiled their souls with any mortal sin. You see from these official Catholic church documents, when you read these, it's wordy and it's deep and there are words. But when you dig through those, what you begin to see about what is believed about justification is that justification is not by faith alone. That there are works involved in it. You also see, hopefully from reading that, and if you read any um, Catholic doctrine that you would see, that justification by faith is a lifelong process. According to Catholic doctrine. It's not something that happens at one time, but it's something that happens over a period of of one's lifetime and can be lost if one commits a mortal sin. So what happens is we receive in, in according to Catholic doctrine, we receive from Christ the ability, the ability through grace to do good acts, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and with God to do good acts so that God can look at us and deem us worthy to be justified. 
tricky. Words matter. Now, let's just take a little bit of time and conf- not con- uh, contrast that. I was going to say conflict it, but that can be a word, I guess. But contrast that with the, the reformational view of justification by faith alone. First of all, this word justification appears in the New Testament over 31 times. So it's there a lot. And it, it's clear when you look at the New Testament that, that the word to justify means to be declared right. To be declared right. In the Old Testament, it's, it's used the same way. Uh, we see all over the Old Testament that it's, it's, it's used to be declared right or you know, the opposite of that is used at times. One of the clearest examples of how this word is used in the, in the New Testament, I think, is in Luke 18. And I love this passage. So I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and you, you know this passage. You're familiar with it. In verse 9 through 14, chapter 18. Jesus is talking about Jesus. He also told his parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Notice the wording of the Pharisee here. I, I think sometimes we read this passage and we just we we, we rightly say that the Pharisee was self-righteous. But I, I think many times we are in this Pharisee's shoes saying the same thing. Um, And we don't recognize it. So hear his words here. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Notice this. God, I thank you. So he's thanking God that he's not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. And so we have this Pharisee that's saying, God, I am giving you the glory, you the praise, that I am not like this tax collector notice this is a more sick version of self-righteousness than we often see we won't go we could this, we could preach a whole sermon here but we'll go forward so so this is what the, the pharisee says but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying god be merciful to me the sinner i tell you this man went to his house justified rather than the other. This is interesting. This is the clear, in my mind, definition of justification by faith in the New Testament that this sinner tax collector, notice it said that he went home what? Justified. Period. The only thing that he brought, the only thing that he brought to his justification was what? His sin. It's the only thing he brought in. He went home justified. And so justification means to be made right. And more clearly, biblically, it means to be declared right. It's a legal term to be declared right. And how are we declared right? How are we declared? We are declared right by faith. And we're going to just real quickly talk about what faith is. Historically, uh, theologians will talk about there, there are three elements to faith. First, there's a knowledge. There's a knowledge. Faith is not just a leap off into some dark abyss, right? Sometimes it's described that way, but there is a knowledge, a knowledge about God. This is not, when they talk about knowledge in this aspect, it's, they're not talking about that deep personal knowledge of God. It's just a knowledge of God. The second element to faith is belief. One must not only know, but is to believe that it is true. 
So there's a knowledge. Here is what the Bible says about who God is. And it's not only enough to just know that, but one must believe it. And, And not only must they believe it, but the third part of faith here. Is that they they not only believe that, but they believe in. And so when we look at this, when we look at this, when this comes to faith, we look at this as not only that we would believe that Jesus was the son of God who takes away our sins, but we believe in Jesus, who is the son of God and would take away our sin. So in talking about justification by faith, this is going to get a little heavy, but I want you to hear because this is so vitally important. Um, there, There are two things that it's not and one thing that it is about faith. Faith is not. So hear me. Faith is not the ground for our salvation. The ground for our salvation or what entitles us to eternal life is the sacrifice of Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no way to be saved. Christ is the ground for our salvation, not faith. Similarly, faith is not the cause of our salvation. The cause is what brings us into relationship with Jesus. The cause of our salvation is the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and causes us to see the truth and the word and to trust Jesus. John 3 says that a man must be born again. The cause of our salvation is the Holy Spirit. The cause of our salvation, you could say, is regeneration. Saving faith is, is the instrument through which we are saved. John Frame, a theologian, wrote, wrote a great, it's huge, uh, systematic theology recently. It's, it's great. I would commend it to you. It's, it's not all. Uh, uh, I, I don't recommend every chapter to you, but it's a great systematic theology. Um, but in there, he talks about when he's talking about um, when he's talking about faith and when he's talking about saving faith, he uses um, the illustration of one coming to Jesus with an open hand to receive what he has seen in Jesus to fill his hands. And I think that is a really good way of seeing that. So faith then is trusting, believing and accepting Jesus for who he is. And we are made right before God by knowing, believing, and trusting that God has made a way for us to be saved in Jesus Christ alone. Alone. Not based on anything else, but in Jesus Christ alone. So our salvation, our being made just before God, God looking down and declaring Lewis righteous, cannot be merited or earned on by anything that I do. There is nothing that you or I can do where God looks down and says, I now declare you just. Years ago, when we were talking about justification by faith, we talked about that the righteousness we receive is an alien righteousness. Remember, we had the flying saucers. No, there were no flying saucers. What we meant by that is alien righteousness means that it is from without us and it's given to us. That there's nothing good in me that creates an environment by which God can look into my soul and say, oh, I'm going to justify him because of what I see in him. The righteousness I receive being declared just is from without. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that what God demanded in the scripture, he provided. 
that a holy God of the universe, in order to declare you or me righteous or just in his sight, demands perfection. And so you and I are hopeless and helpless in our sins, but God sent Jesus to live a perfect, righteous life. So when Christ went to the cross, he took on our sin. The perfect, righteous one was punished for you and for me. And then his righteousness was given to us so that God, as he looks to you and as he looks to me, says this man or woman is declared righteous is declared righteous based on the work of my son on the cross and that this man or woman is coming to me open-handed saying that I trust that Jesus is sufficient and exclusive in in his ability to take away my sin. This is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, One of the things that you'll hear, and I just want to real briefly say this, um, real briefly say this, is that if you're interacting, if you if you if you kind of get into this and you want to interact with Catholic doctrine, you've got to remember that according to Catholic doctrine, they're fusing two things together that we don't see in the Bible, that we as Protestants don't see in the Bible. The two things they're fusing together in Catholic doctrine is justification and sanctification. In justification, we are saying we are declared righteous, boom, period, it's done, and that's based on nothing that we've done, that sort of thing. In sanctification, it's a different story, right? Sanctification is a different story for us altogether. Protestants, we believe that we're justified, and then we spend a life being sanctified, and when we get to heaven, we are finally glorified. And the process of sanctification in the life of the believer has everything to do with this mystery of the Holy Spirit uh, doing things and us acting and obeying and trusting and all these meritorious things (laughs) that Gary and I have talked about. We've beat our heads a little bit about, you know, how to systematically talk about some of these things. And sanctification is a lifelong process. The confusion in, in my estimation, and in men and women that are much smarter than I am, is that the doctrine of the Catholic Church fuses these things into a very dangerous place where the gospel, where the gospel is subverted. Uh, and, and I think it creates a, a, a nasty um, thing, which ultimately, you know, God used the nastiness of that to, to purify the church. So just a couple of things, just bullet points here that I want to go down very quickly is that we believe in sanctification that good works are the evidence or the sign of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and that they're not needed. We do not need the church to administer grace. Christ and his sacrifice was and is enough. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are symbols and demonstrations, not actual means of cooperating for salvation. Before a perfect and holy God, we have no standing in and of ourselves. Godly rightly demands perfect, perfect obedience. God satisfies his own demand in Christ. We are declared righteous in a forensic sense. There is no real or effectual righteousness in us. The righteousness we cling to is not of ourselves, but found in Christ. When we come to Christ in faith, we are declared righteous. That glorious verse, Romans 8, 1. 
There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I have five minutes to talk about grace alone. So I'm just going to run through this and I want to get to helping us. Um, and, and much of what we've covered, these things are all interconnected and intertwined. Um, but I want to talk about just real quickly uh, the, the Catholic view of grace and then correct an error that I had last week. Um, so the Catholic view um, of grace is this, is to start with, is sin only marred your human nature. Sin only marred, sin only tainted your human nature, that there is still goodness with, with, within human nature versus what we believe that the Bible teaches uh, in, in Ephesians 2, and I was going to read it again, but that we're dead and hopeless in our trespasses and sin. Not marred, dead, totally depraved. Catholic doctrine believes that we possess the capacity to receive and to cooperate with God's grace, and that leads to justification, that the church is the authority to dispense God's grace through the sacrament, that God infuses us with grace and we do our part. God will not deny those who do what they can. This is a very interesting doctrine in the Catholic Church. Now, I need to correct something that I said last week. I referenced the movie Nacho Libre last week. And on further study, um, my... uh, uh, Catholic friends would say, Lewis, you, you got that wrong. Here's the only part that you got wrong. The part that you got wrong is, is that the, 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 the scrawny wrestler who the larger wrestler baptized, snuck up behind him and baptized, that wouldn't actually be a real baptism in the Catholic Church. Because some elements are needed, and this goes against one of those. And so this was interesting uh, as I was looking through some of this stuff. And so... Um, so in order to receive grace, a, a priest must be present or an official of the church, and he must also mean to dispense that grace. So what this means is that if a priest was swimming in a pool and you were near and got splashed by the water, you're not baptized. He would have to mean to perform that function. Now, there's, it's crazy how weird some of this gets. There's even a whole lot written on, even if the priest is not Thinking purely at the time he's doing something, as long as he's meaning to. It's just odd. But the second part of that is that the person who is the person who is being distributed the grace through the priest must also want the grace. And so I have to correct in the image of the movie. The young man did not want the baptism that he received. (laughs) And so 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 in order to receive grace. Uh, not, not only must you want it, but but you almost you also have to be prepared for it. You have to prepare your heart for that. The theology of the Reformation, as you know, as I've said, is just much different. That we believe that we are in sin and that we're dead. We're wanting nothing but our own way. We deserve wrath. But as Ephesians two says, and I will go back and read um, uh, just a couple of verses here. Starting in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And here is the turning point. Here is the, the distinction in this theology of grace. 
It hangs in these two words. Here is our condition. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love. Notice in these verses, we see the heart of God that grace being distributed to us is all about who God is. It's about his love. It's about his mercy. It's not about us. And so, grace alone is the reason why God acts towards us. So, let's real quickly pull some things together. The Reformation was concerned about how is man made right with God. Because we, because of sin, we're alienated from God. The answer to this question is found in the Bible. It's the very word of God. Therefore, all things must be measured from it. We are justified by faith alone. This justification is given to us because of God's grace. We cannot merit or earn God's grace or favor. The only reason we can be justified is due to the work of Christ on the cross. He is the exclusive way to be declared just. His sacrifice was sufficient. All of this is for the glory of God alone. He deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Now, I just want to say two things to end. Two things to end. One, um, it's really interesting. In our small group last week, I had I, I knew this, but I didn't know it as we were um, talking about the messages in the Reformation is that we have uh, a large contingency of former Catholics in our small group. And it's real interesting when you talk with someone who grew up in the Catholic Church, um, and, and if you were to ask them, well, why do you do certain things? At least most of them in our group had no idea. It's just what you did. You're just following what you did. So you're just, you're just doing it. You know, Casey would tell you she was baptized. As, my wife was raised Catholic. She was baptized as an infant. Um, there was a grade in which you were uh, confirmed and you did your first uh, confession and your first communion, that it was just laid out for you. This is what you do. The thought behind it and why is not there. So one of the things that I would say to you is that if you are witnessing or if you've got a friend that is a, or a family member who's in the Catholic Church, take them to the Bible. Take them to the Bible. Study the scriptures with them. Put the word of God in their hand and walk with them lovingly and gently. You may find that this person is a believer. They just didn't know it. Or they, they knew it, but they didn't know. They didn't know what the church was teaching. That happens. Um, you may find, you know, one of the things that was interesting when uh, uh, when. Uh, so. Uh, when Casey came to faith, we were in college and uh, she came to me and uh, there were some questions and she wanted a relationship with the Lord, but she um, knew I was a, a Protestant guy and uh, didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. And my dad, who was also raised Catholic, uh, I, finally it hit me, oh, put your dad on the phone. And so I put my dad on the phone and he told her, hey, don't worry about where you're going to go to church. You know, just you th th there's a decision that you're looking at making here. And um, so. She gave her life to Christ uh, and then was discipled by a young lady from Athletes in Action. And one of the things one of the things that I saw in her, two things that came out of her that I've seen in in many of you is uh, who, who were raised in that is a, a little bit of a frustration. That the. 
that salvation was, it's almost like it was right there. But, but there was this bridge and this gap that was never bridged. You know, one of the things Casey would say is that if, if they would have just made me read my Bible, maybe I would have gotten it sooner. And so I think if you're, if you're with someone who's, who's, who's there, um, read the Bible. If, if, if somebody comes to faith or you feel like it's a believer, but they need discipleship, read the Bible with this brother or sister. And two more things real quickly. One, don't think because we've been talking about the Catholic Church today that that's the only place that we need to look. That's the only corner that we need to look into to see um, this idea of justification by faith being the nose being thumbed at that and people going in different directions. It is amazing. It is amazing. Some of the literature. Some of the theology that are coming out of men and women's mouths under the banner of evangelical Protestants that has nothing to do with biblical theology of justification by faith. So brothers and sisters, we must stand on this. We must know where we stand. There's even a, um, a whole movement uh, that is uh, a little bit disappointing, um, not because of the end goal, but because of what was given up of evangelicals and Catholic together where some of this some people that really would shock you kind of comes out and 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 really what's happened is that the evangelicals in that crowd are going real soft on justification. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to stand firm out of love because this is the way by which men and women are saved. And lastly, lastly, um, we need to stand firm on this because God has given us the church the gospel message. He's given it to you and he's given it to me. And our job as faithful servants of God is to proclaim this gospel message. And the gospel message we proclaim must be clear and it must be true. That we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And there is only one remedy for that and that is Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we have celebrated five, the 500 year anniversary of, of the reformation of the church, God, I pray, Lord, that you will. Um, God, I pray that you would cause us to look inward. God, I pray that you would cause us to look inward. God, I pray that we would look uh, to your word and to examine that um, against what we believe and. God, where there needs to be changes, I pray that we would make those changes. God, I pray that we would not drift as a people and as a church. God, I pray that this would also cause us to look outward. God, one of the tragedies of the Reformation was that enemies were made. God, there are things that Distinguish us between others. And they are serious things. They are gospel things. They are salvation things. But God I pray that you would cause in our hearts. Not anger. Not bitterness. But I pray that your love. Your love would be poured out in our hearts. And that it would reach across the aisle. And that we with love would stand for truth. Desiring. Desiring. For the lost to be saved. God, I want to pray for a reformation to be started within the 
Catholic Church today. God, I want to pray for uh, the church up here on the mountain. God, I want to pray that, Lord, if, if, if there are Christians within that church, God, I pray that, Lord, that you would draw them to your word. And, God, I pray that they would, with boldness and love, be put into positions where they could have influence over other people there. God, I pray that you might use some of us to pray earnestly and to speak and to clearly articulate the gospel, the gospel of justification by faith alone. God, all this is only possible through your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.